turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 again. Second Corinthians chapter 11, and in a moment we'll be reading verses 16 through 33. Last week we started chapter 11 of Paul's second inspired letter to the church that was meeting in the city of Corinth, and we saw the, uh, the chapter begin with almost an apology by the apostle for how his words sounded. Um, I find humor in almost everything, um, but that just struck me as funny last week, and especially how Paul words it. Um, It was just something with which I could identify, and now here in the middle of the chapter, we see again the same almost apologetic introduction, uh, in this case, for the appearance of boasting in the ensuing passage. And the, the method of teaching that Paul is using here is something that we call irony. Um, I think any parent can identify with this and its effectiveness, even though you may say, well, that probably wasn't appropriate, but it worked, you know. (laughs) Um, it, It isn't always the best way to communicate to our kids, but sometimes it does work. And so perhaps you can remember doing something like this. Parents, kids, maybe you've heard your parents get a little silly sometimes. Parents, your child may complain about their many responsibilities and their hectic life, right? And, you know, they're like 12. And you remember that as a parent hearing that? And you, I mean, your little twelve-year-old is just completely overwhelmed by the complexities of life. And you try to cover up your your smile, because <laughs> as a parent, you realize that your child isn't seeing things clearly, and you decide to give them a little bit of a lesson. And so you feign sympathy for their situation. And then you share with them a long list of adult problems. (laughs) Please don't tell me I'm the only one that's done this. (laughs) The idea is to help them see the manageability of their problems and rise to that occasion upon seeing that their parents have much bigger responsibilities and are rising to meet them. Now, there's a problem with this method. And the problem is that your children shouldn't have to know all the all that you have to deal with as a parent. It's not their job. <laughs> not not their business. Quite frankly, um, for an extended period of time, they, they are not prepared for that kind of pressure. But that wasn't the reason for sharing it with them in the first place. It wasn't like you were really dumping your problems on them, Right? We're just giving them a little bit of a glimpse. The purpose was to teach them a lesson. And so we made the decision as a parent to step out of bounds just a little bit. Yes, I know, my problems aren't my kids' problems. I wasn't trying to slough them off on my kids. I just a little bit of a glimpse at what you're heading into as an adult. <laughs> Enjoy the relative simplicity of life as a 12-year-old. Um, So we step out of bounds a little bit doing something that's at least abnormal with the purpose of teaching them an important lesson. Another common parental example of this type of irony is when a child says that um, they want to do something and you say no, and what do they come back with? Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else gets to do that. (laughs) Right? And so... The parent will reply that what their friend does is irrelevant. And if your friends all run head off, head on off a cliff, you're, are you going to follow them? How many parents have used that line? Yeah, right? Same, same general idea, right? 
See, we want to teach our children to recognize bad influences in their lives, and we're willing to use a little bit of irony to, co- to accomplish that. That is exactly what we're going to see in our passage today. Some of the people in Corinth have been blinded by men pretending to authority to which they had no rightful claim. And Paul wants to teach them a lesson and is willing to stretch himself into an awkward position to accomplish this. So look for this in our text as we read, beginning with verse 16. And recognize also Paul's opening apology as we begin our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 16. I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool received me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak... I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, uh, glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you in the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though as though we had been weak. Albeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I, I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things which are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Thank you, God, for how we can see therein what it means to be a genuine servant of Christ. God, I pray that you would do two things in the hearts of your children today. That you would challenge us to rise to the occasion and aspire to this kind of authentic servanthood. And then also help us to recognize genuine servants of Christ as well. And then God, if there's someone here today that hasn't yet been born into your family, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would help them to see the joy on this side of repentance. And that you would bring them to that place that they might accept Christ as their Savior. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know why I I enjoy reading about Paul's trials in the way that he lists them here. I feel almost like I'm drinking out of a fire hose. (laughs) 
you know. <laughs> and uh, um, and I, I think that was kind of the intention to dump all of that on the Corinthian church in that way, in a little bit of a shock fashion. Let's do this, um, because the context is kind of important to understand in the overall um, import of the passage. Let's walk through this passage in the same day, in the same way that we did the first half of the chapter last week, and I think that is going to give us a clear and full context for the main teaching of the passage. Before we do that, I want to at least let you see what I recognize as the challenge in the passage. And I see the challenge in the passage as a personal one. Paul's words here are a strong personal testimony and a defense of himself. In doing this, he lays out quite a contrast between him and the false teachers. And if there's a challenge then to impart to us, it may be that we should aspire to the genuine nature of Paul's service for God. We should see Paul's testimony and say, Lord willing, that's where I am going with my life. I ask you, how genuine is your service for God? Is it real enough to spur you to victory in your life? Is it real enough to make sacrifices for? Have you got genuine battle scars and experiences sharing the gospel of Christ? Or is your walk with Him a sham? These are kind of tough, convicting questions. But it is the contrast that the Apostle is drawing between himself and the false teachers. And if we're going to take a personal challenge from the Apostle Paul's life, we have to recognize the other option. I don't mean, to, I don't mean these questions as personal attacks in any way. I simply mean to impart to you the challenge of Paul's life and warn against the allure of fake service. Let's walk through this passage together and see how this fleshes out. In verse 16, which was the first verse we read, we see Paul begins the passage, and I would challenge you to read through it as we go. I may not read every verse as we go along, but just kind of follow along in your Bible. In verse 16, we see Paul begins the passage with saying, well, I really, I hope, I hope you don't come to the conclusion that I'm a fool from what I'm about to say. You know, I, every time I feel like I say that, I see the looks that I get, and I realize it's too late. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, 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 Paul says, however, if it appears that way, please just listen to what I have to say. He said, this is going to sound a lot like boasting. That's pretty much the summary of verse 16. As we step into verse 17, Paul recognizes that this way of speaking isn't going to sound like the kind of thing you would normally hear him say under the inspiration of God. Okay, He's not discounting what he's about to say as uninspired. He's recognizing, this is not how God usually leads me. <laughs> All right, Boasting isn't my normal uh, um, sermon outline, the apostle says. So, as a matter of fact, Paul says, it's going to sound a little bit foolish because, it, as a matter of fact, it's confident boasting. He's real sure of what he's about to say. He's just not sure how it's going to come off. Now, in verse 18 now, Paul points out that he isn't the only one who's been boasting. See that? He says, uh, um, seeing that many glory after the flesh... I will glory also. Paul isn't the one that started down the ridiculous path. All right? He's saying, I'm not the first one to be boasting. People have been doing this. It's a clear shot at the false teachers who have so much positive stuff to say about themselves. They glory after the flesh. They lift themselves up and they tear, specifically, Paul down. Paul says, 
if they can do it with such a claim, well, maybe I'll give it a shot myself. The point here is that the false teachers have set up the debate. They claim their position of authority based on their pedigree and their personal polish. And with the debate set this way, they lift themselves up and they tear down Paul. So Paul enters the debate. And he does it on their terms because they pretty much wrote the terms. And he says, okay, I I can play that game too. It's not my normal game, but you're going to boast. I can boast. Right? (laughs) You have some somewhat of which to boast. Paul says, "I, I can do that too, as foolish as it sounds. So beginning to get the flavor of the passage. Now Paul in verse 19 turns back to the Corinthian church and he points out that they have put up with the foolishness of boasting for some time, and they've done it gladly. And the final clause in this verse is unmistakably laced in sarcasm. Look at the last clause of verse 19. It says, seeing yourselves are wise. Now, you want to really understand the import of that? Just put the word so before wise. And you understand what Paul's trying to say. Seeing you guys are seeing you're so wise, you know. Now, now you understand modern vernacular. Um, that's what Paul's saying. Oh, you're so smart, huh? You know. <laughs> I mean, you've been putting up with all this boasting. I mean, well, obviously you're you're so smart. You know, it sounds a little bit like how you might talk to your 12 year old too, if the conversation had escalated to that point. Right? <laughs> Ideally, not. I don't think I ever have been sarcastic with my kids. But Paul, (laughs) I lie from the pulpit every now and then, but no. Paul strikes again at at the misplaced admiration of the people in the city of Corinth for, for the men who claimed power over them. That's really what is, it really aggravates Paul. That they have so much admiration for men that are basically abusing them. And it's strange that people are so willing to be fleeced by false prophets. I do not understand where these guys get all their money. I want to shake people. (laughs) What were you thinking? (laughs) You can't see he's a criminal? (laughs) Um... He points, he points this out to the people of Corinth. Look at the long list of abuses in verse 20 that the Corinthian church allowed by those who raised themselves up as something special. He says, you suffer. That means you, you allow this. He says, if a man bring you into bondage. The, the, the uh, false teachers were uh, what they called Judaizers. They were the ones who wanted to um, bring uh, Judaism into Christianity and kind of make it a more of a joint religion. Bring the rituals of Judaism as necessary to being good Christians. They were trying to bring people into bondage. And We see also it says, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. So they have basically required of you what God does not require. They've sought only their own personal profit. They have insulted your intelligence. They have figuratively slapped you in the face. And you put up with it. So, that's kind of the import through verse 20. 
all of this Paul addresses because as we see in the first clause of verse 21, they are a reproach. It's a reproach. That is, these false teachers are a reproach. It's a reproach to pretend to an authority that we do not have. It is a reproach to lift oneself up and bully other people around. And try to control them by fear. While Paul's way of ministering to the Corinthians might have been misinterpreted as weakness, and we talked about that somewhat last week, how he didn't take any money from them, he didn't make a lot of demands of them, he recognizes uh, that, that had some ramifications that were detrimental. But he was stepping lightly on purpose, he was being meek. Well, Paul's way of ministering to the Corinthians might have been misinterpreted as weakness. Paul argues that meekness is not weakness. It's just me being wise. Um, um, says the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Finally, Paul claims to be at least as bold as anyone who is appropriately bold. As, as a genuine servant of Christ, Paul points out that boldness... It's not the same thing as bullying. And I think that's something we have to recognize within the Christian church. The boldness to which we are challenged in Scripture is a boldness in preaching the gospel. When there's a risk to us. The boldness is speaking the truth in love when we're at risk. It's not the boldness of getting other people to do what you want them to do. That's called bullying. Right? And the Corinthian church, to some extent, had mistaken bullying for boldness. And Paul says, I may not have the forcefulness and the demanding nature of the false teachers, but I'm bold when I need to be. <laughs> Next, Paul addresses in verse 22 now the pedigree of which the false teachers boasted. You see it in verse 22. Let's go ahead and read that. Um, there's three things he points out. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Basically, those three things almost sound like the same thing, but hey, there's little nuances to them. Let me explain. He says, uh, he was of the same language as that in which the law and the prophets were written. He says, yeah, I am a Hebrew. I speak Hebrew. I read Hebrew. This is, I'm connected to the law and the prophets in the same way they are. He was of the same nation as inherited the land of Palestine. He's an Israelite. He says, I, I, I have the same claim to Israel, what they call now the land of Palestine. He says, I have the same claim that any Israelite has. He was of the same bloodline as the subject of the Abrahamic promise. You know, the great promise that God gave Abraham when he pulled him out of the heathen and made him a nation of his own. Paul said, I lay claim to that. I'm a child of Abraham too. And then in the beginning of verse 23, Paul addresses the claim that these men were ministers or servants of God. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I am more. Twice we see in this passage he puts, he, he can't help himself because he feels so uncomfortable bragging about himself. He keeps um, sticking parenthetical statements in there. I speak as a fool. Do you see that? Just It kind of reminds you that, this is, that Paul isn't proud, that he recognizes how this might sound. But he's trying to teach something. Okay? So, Paul admits right away that this next claim of his will be uncharacteristically boastful, but it's true nevertheless. He basically claims for himself to be more of a minister than, than these. 
more of a servant of God than these men that were leading the, the church in Corinth. That's quite a claim, isn't it? And Paul felt uncomfortable making that claim. But they're the ones that drew the contrast. <laughs> you know, they're the ones that set up the debate. He had, the, he had to enter the debate on their terms. He had to defend himself as an apostle of Christ. So he says, look, are they servants of God? Are they ministers? I'm more than they are. And in setting up uh, himself as an example, this speaks to authenticity as a servant of God. They were ministers of sorts, but they were more interested in self-promotion than the exaltation of Christ. Look, hey, there are plenty, plenty of people who are... Um, in the ministry, and I don't mean just like in the preaching ministry or pastoral ministry, but people who uh, um, are active in serving the Lord, whose motives are to make sure they get recognition for it. And the Apostle Paul's calling them out on this. And he's saying, yeah, they're ministers of sorts, but they're more interested in self-promotion than the exaltation of Christ. They're more interested in projecting power than accomplishing the work of God. They're more invested in their position than submitted to the demands of the ministry. And then Paul enters what I like to term an inspired rant, from which I find the most specific direction for myself. He, he's laying out his bona fides as, as a genuine servant of God. So that the people of Corinth might learn to recognize a servant of God. Or so that they might learn to embrace these same characteristics in their own lives. He's saying, you want to know what a servant of God looks like? It's not all that pretty. Let me explain. And then he goes off. We know from Paul's constant, almost self-conscious mention of boasting that, and the foolish sound of it that his primary interest here is not to lift himself up. However, lift himself up as an example, he does. And we benefit from it greatly on a practical level this morning. It's from this inspired rant that we learn what characterizes a genuine servant of God. So what, what is it that characterizes a genuine servant of God? Is it the polish and the acclaim that he, he or she gets? Is it the recognition? Is it their position? Is it the flawless record of projecting power? What is it that characterizes a genuine servant of God? I see nine answers in our text. Don't look at the clock. That were a great challenge to me. And I hope that they'll be a great challenge to you as well. We are going to fly through them. I mean, after all, it's a rant, so you can't park too much. First one we see is in verse 23. In the first part of verse 23, it says, um, in, la in labors, more abundant. A genuine servant of God labors abundantly. Paul characterizes himself, contrasting himself with those false teachers. He characterizes himself as one who labors abundantly. We have to ask ourselves, what am I doing for the cause of Christ? I mean, actually, what am I actually doing for the cause of Christ? We're not talking about busyness. We're talking about labors, work for the cause of Christ. Specifically, what is it that consumes you in regards to the one you serve? What are you, do, what are you working on to accomplish His will? A genuine servant of God labors abundantly. The next thing we see is that a genuine servant of God endures persecution. 
You look at verses 23 and all the way through verse 25. Paul speaks of persecutions that he suffered. He says, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. Anyone good at math? How many times... How many how many licks did he get five times? Thirty nine, right? Thirty nine times five. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That is with rocks, okay? Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Thank you. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. The apostle Paul says. I have, I have suffered persecution. For the cause of Christ, I have paid a price. Let's just, let's just pick one of those things out. It was the five times he got 39 stripes. Those stripes aren't painted on with a nice soft little paintbrush, you understand. 39 stripes is how many times the whip falls on his back. Now think about this. Can you imagine crossing the line and getting beaten? 39 lashes in front of a crowd. For sharing the gospel. For working for Christ. Now, it is one thing for that to happen once to you. And it may be something that you can always point back on and say, Yeah, I, I was just preaching the gospel. I was sharing Christ. And next thing you know, I realized um, that they didn't want me to do that there. Right? That... And, and I realized that I had kind of crossed a line there. And, and uh, since then, I figured out how not to do that. I mean, that would be our natural reaction, right? Yeah. Five times. You know what that means? <laughs> that second time, he knew he was going to get beat. The third time, he was probably still sore. The fourth time he was cringing while he preached the gospel. The fifth time he knew again, this is the price I pay. What if we, what if we approached ministry that way? I mean, what if, what if we decided that preaching the gospel or sharing Christ's love was so important to us? That we were, we were willing to go back for it again, and again, and again, and again, and again. I mean, our tendency is, oh man, no, I ain't doing that anymore. Oh man, that was terrible. I got persecuted. <laughs> right? The Apostle Paul lists these persecutions and what it tells us is that a genuine servant of God endures persecution. And he does it because the work is worth it. It's worth that price. The next thing we see in verse 26 is that a genuine servant of God is faithful in trials. If you look at verse 26, it says, Thrice was I... That's 25. Verse 26, it says, In journeyings often... In perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Pretty much, he was just in perilous places. Um, that was part and parcel with how he lived. Traveling. Anyone here do a bunch of traveling in your life? It comes with trials, doesn't it? I mean, it does. Traveling is difficult. And and it comes with trials. And in this case, in Paul's life, he put himself out there in the path where there were trials. 
There's danger, there's perils of all the, the robbers and stuff along the path. But he was a servant of God. So this is bigger than me trying to avoid the normal trials of life. How do you respond to crises in your life? When that which is terrifying comes your way, do you show yourself faithful to his work? Or is that when you drop off and say, oh, i, I got to re i got to... Um, thank you. i got to regroup. <laughs> because I can't do with this trials and crisis stuff. You know what Paul said? He looked around and he said, Servant of God, that's my path. Oh boy, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and then he moved forward. Faithful in trials. The next thing I see is that the genuine servant of God embraces hardship. Look at verse 27. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. So it's one thing just to go through trials of life. Now he's talking about not having enough to eat. Extending himself so far that he's cold at night. Maybe because he gave his coat away or something. I don't know. Maybe last time he got beat, he got shredded. <laughs> but he embraces the hardship. Let me ask you this. When that which is common to man afflicts you, do you own it? You say, this is my hardship. Yeah, I, I recognize that I'm going through some difficult times. But I chose this path. When business and complexity enters the picture, is there still time for your walk with God? When you make the right decision, you say, yeah, well, you know what? Might mean that I miss some of the luxuries of life. But I'll take that hardship. It's worth it. I'm a servant of God. Before I am anything. The next thing we see is that a genuine servant of God cares about people. Look at verse 28. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You know... Um, it, it seemed that the, the false teachers against whom the Apostle Paul is warning, they didn't really care that much about the people. They were more concerned with being in a position of authority, making sure that people did what they said, preserving their position, preserving their power. That's not ministry. Paul says, I'm willing to spend and be spent for the care of the churches. You've got, to find, you've got to find the love in your heart for God's people. And you know where you're going to find that? It's actually His love. All right? And once you have filled yourself up with God's love, you won't be able to help but love God's people. Because you're so full of His love. Believe me, that love wants to get out and help people. You'll have compassion for people. I find those who have less compassion for others, that don't have any sort of empathy or sympathy for other people, they also don't recognize how much God has loved them. And the Apostle Paul had fully embraced the love of God, and he cared about God's people. Let me ask you this. Is your spiritual life all about you? When you think about your spiritual life, is it just like all your little struggles? All your questions? Or is it about everyone around you that God has led you, to whom God has led you to minister? In whose life are you invested? I mean, what are you, who are you working with now? In whom are you invested to help them along the way? A genuine servant of God cares about people. 
You say, wow, this guy is something else. He's a hero. You know what? The Apostle Paul, I just absolutely love the way he throws verse 29 in. Look at verse 29. He says, who is weak? And I'm not weak. Paul says, <laughs> you know, this whole boasting thing he says is, it's getting on, it's getting on my nerves. I know I keep apologizing for you. He says, but here's the reality. As I lift myself up as an example, I want you to know this. I'm as weak as anyone. That's a pretty stark admission, isn't it? He also says, who is offended? And I burn not. Now that's quite an admission there too, isn't it? Because what is the perfect picture of strength and resilience? It's that you just can't offend somebody, right? No, you can't offend me. Sometimes I'll even I'll even say, Don't worry, I'm really hard to offend. I really try to be hard to offend. But can I let you in on a little bit of a secret? I'm just going to reveal a little chink in my armor. I get my feelings hurt sometimes. You know why? Because I'm human, that's why. The Apostle Paul can admit this. I guess I can. (laughs) See, I mean, I I, I think sometimes... People hold themselves back from becoming a full-fledged servant of God or working as a full-fledged servant of God, as a genuine servant of God, because they think, no, I'm just not strong enough. Let me tell you something. God chooses the weak so that his strength might be more greatly revealed. He chooses the small things, the foolish things, to confound the wise. You say, I don't know if I can be a genuine servant of God. I don't know if I can really get out there and make a difference and invest in someone else's life because of all of my problems. Paul says, look, I'm weak and I get my feelings hurt. We're, We're just human. Something I think is important to put on the list is that servants of God are only human. The next thing we see is that the servant of God sees opportunity in infirmities. Look at verse 30. If I must needs glory, he says, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. I also love the way the Apostle Paul sees his infirmities as opportunities for the glory of God. And when, when we have infirmities, you know, I'll tell you what, what, um, what I think of when I have a, an infirmity. I think, I've got to get this thing fixed <laughs> so that I can do what God wants me to do. You know what? I think sometimes we need to embrace our infirmities and recognize, okay, this is how God's going to get done what he wants me to do. <laughs> and and he, he says, if I'm going to glory in something, I'm going to glory in those things that are related to my infirmities. Because I know then he's the one that gets the glory. A genuine servant of God sees opportunities for God's glory in his infirmities. Are you thankful for the things that make your life harder than most people's lives? You're like, no. <laughs> why, why, why do I have to suffer so much and everyone, no one else has to have this problem? You know... I'm not saying this is easy. Remember the last one. We're we're only human, right? But recognize these are the things that provide opportunity to glorify God. It's the highest achievement anyone will will can ever claim 
in the history of mankind is to glorify God. And if my infirmity is how God chooses to do that, not my chosen path, but I will take it. The next thing we see is a servant of God is satisfied with God knowing him. Look at verse 21, there are 31. See how close we are to the end of the chapter? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. You know, last week, the, these, the same, this same sentiment was expressed in just two words in verse 11, God knoweth. Can I tell you something? As a servant of God, you need to learn to be satisfied with God knowing the truth about you. And don't, don't, be, don't be so interested in making sure everyone else has the right story about you. Be satisfied that God has the right story. And a genuine servant of God is satisfied with God knowing Him. Whose opinion is more important to you? God's opinion about you or someone else's opinion about you? Can you live with people believing the wrong things about you? That's a hard one, right? What is it that makes that okay? God knows. And a genuine servant of God learns to find peace in those two words. God knows. Last point. A genuine servant of God has got some stories to tell. When you look at verses 32 and 33, it's like, what, did you just go ADD on me, Paul? Because it just suddenly felt like you needed to tell us a story about you going over the wall in a basket, <laughs> right? So I try, to, I try to fit this into what Paul is teaching, and at the very least I see this. Living as a servant of God is not dull. It's not boring. It'll press you beyond your measure. It'll take you out of your comfort zone. It'll give you experiences that will reaffirm your trust in God. The, the Apostle Paul, it's almost like he got distracted and remembered how God had got him through a hard time. And he just adds that on as like a conclusion to the chapter. And let me tell you something. Those little stories, like one, the one the Apostle Paul ends with, about being saved from a wrathful uh, governor, a king, and being let down by a, in a basket outside a window. Those are, those are what get you through. Remembering, well, God was there for me then. Boy, I did not think I was going to get out of that. <laughs> and a servant of God has got some stories to tell. And to some extent, that ought to make you want to be a servant of God. A genuine servant of God. I mean, let's face it. Those false teachers that were tricking the people in Corinth and pretending to authority they didn't actually have. They didn't have any basket over the wall stories. <laughs> right? Because when you're a genuine servant of God, sometimes you're up to your elbows in alligators. <laughs> and... You're, you're doing the work. Things happen. God comes through. And you learn to trust Him more. So a genuine servant of God has got some stories to tell. So I, I want to I challenge you this morning. I'm only 15 minutes over time. I want to challenge you this morning... To be servants of God. I am not challenging you to be something perfect. We see very clearly that servants of God labor abundantly, endure persecution, are faithful in trials, they embrace hardship, they care about people. Servants of God are only human. 
They see opportunity and infirmities and are satisfied with God knowing them. And they've got some stories to tell. Um, I want to challenge you to be what the Apostle Paul was. Sometimes he was a basket case. But it's worth it to be a servant of God. Are you interested in starting this adventure as a servant of God? You know, it's not something for which we are born qualified. You know that? We need to be made whole. We need to be made righteous so that we can be one of God's servants. That's a supernatural event that takes place in a person's heart when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and He changes you. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And if you'd like to learn more about... um, joining the family of God, becoming a servant of God, I would love to show you from my Bible how you can uh, be saved from the penalty of your sin and enabled to be a servant of God. Child of God, if you, uh, if you look at your own life and say, you know what, I, uh, I haven't been, I haven't had all those characteristics Sometimes I get a little distracted. Let's reaffirm our commitment to be servants of God. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment, number 308. Stand as you find that or as you join us on that first stanza. All to Jesus I surrender.